Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, May 22nd, 2021. Well, I distinctly remember one night as a freshman in college, a senior on campus walking into my room and offering me a job. He explained that he worked for the athletics department at my school as a statistician, that he would go to the basketball games and keep all the stats of what was going on for the school and all the records that they would keep or send to the conference and all the official things. And he explained it was a two-person job and he needed an assistant. And so I said, let me get this straight. You want me to go to all the basketball games, sit in the front row pay very good attention, and get paid for it, where do I sign up, right? If you know me, you know one thing I love is sports, and I was planning on going to as many basketball games as I could, and now he's telling me I could get paid to go to all the basketball games. That was an easy decision for me. And sure, it was a job. It was a responsibility that I had. I had to be at the games, but it was a joy. It was a wonderful thing. It was a a joyful responsibility. And I want us to think today just about some of the responsibilities that we have towards God. And I want us to see, man, if we really stop and think about it, we're like, are you serious? Like, this is, this is what I have to do. This is amazing. This is what I get to do because of how great God is. And I want us to see that just from the opening few verses of Psalm 65, as we read that and start that today, verses one through four. But look at how it starts. Uh, Verse one, praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed, right? That gives us a sense of the language of responsibility, right? Praise is due to God, right? It's, it's not optional. It's, it's not a suggest a suggestion. It is due. Uh, he deserves our praise. And to him shall vows be performed, right? That there is an obligation to do something for God. And even that there is an obligation that we have to worship God. But that's where I think, and I think the next few verses are going to help fill this in for us. If we really understand the way I have to worship God, we'd be like, are you serious? What a wonderful responsibility. That's what I want to do. And you see a sense of why we should have that in these next three verses. Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all flesh, shall all flesh come. Right. One of the reasons that praise is due to God and that we should be eager to give that is because this is the God that has heard our prayers. And all of us should be able to look back at answered prayer in our lives, even uh, most importantly, the prayers for deliverance and salvation that God has answered. And that's really where the next verse then gets to. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Man, is there anyone else out there that we can say can atone for our transgressions? No, There is nobody, nobody but God that can forgive our sins. Nobody but God that sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. 
As we sing often, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That's where I think we should be pretty eager to give that praise that is due to God. Verse 4 says, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Right? He's like, hey, there's, there's no better place to be in the world than the house of God. So yes, you have a responsibility to go there and to worship God there. But what a joyful thing. What a blessing. What a wonderful obligation uh, that we have to worship God. And so I want you to start just by kind of soaking in these four verses and praying through these verses. You have an obligation to worship God. You should worship God every day. And if you don't see um, your time with God, whether you're reading the word and praying, you should see that as the time where you should worship him. And also you have a responsibility and obligation to gather with the people of God to worship God corporately. Those are responsibilities. But what I want you to understand is those should be joyful responsibilities. Those should be wonderful obligations that you are eager to perform because God deserves everything. He deserves the praise because he is the one who answers prayer, who has forgiven sins, and being close to him is the best thing that we could possibly ever have. So as you think about that, whether personally today or maybe you think about gathering with your church tomorrow, remember what a joyful responsibility it is to worship God and give him the praise that he is due. Now, as we think about this joyful responsibility, we have to realize that the Christian life, especially serving other people and and ministry that uh, some may be called to full-time, but every Christian uh, should be involved in, in serving the church and building up the body of Christ, there is going to be responsibility and work that comes with that. And we're going to see that as we turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 27. Uh, And here we're going to see Paul talk about the work that is involved in ministry. And it starts with a passage that I think can be misused sometimes. It starts with just Paul talking about trying to become all things to all people. And again, notice the context, even of the last two days that we've looked at. Uh, Two days ago, he said, hey, if, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat meat again. If, uh, you know, hey. I'm willing to forgo my right to be compensated really in ministry uh, so that I can just serve this church, right? He's giving up his rights. He's making sacrifices for the sake of ministry and for the sake of his brothers. And that's the context that leads him to talk about becoming all things to all people, right? Um, you, you know, we would joke, I, I moved to a new state to help plan a church. I moved to Boise, Idaho, right? And one thing you do when you move to Boise, Idaho, is you start buying some clothing that has blue and orange and a Broncos logo on it, right? We, we support the Boise State Broncos. And you kind of joke like, oh, well, you know, be becoming all things to all people, right? And uh, you, you You say that, right? But I I don't think that really even gives the sense of what Paul is talking about. Paul's talking about, I'm making sacrifices to serve 
these people. And, and, and that's why I'm doing it. I'm making a sacrifice of myself to serve them that I might win them to Christ. And that's a mindset that all of us should have. We don't want to use this verse to justify, well, I'm going to go do the things that I want to do to hang with the people that I want to hang with, become all things to all people so that I might win them to Christ. No, he's really talking in this context about making sacrifices to do that. And it's those sacrifices that then gets him to this athletic analogy, starting in verse 24, where he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You know, he talks about the athletes exercising self-control, right? You don't win the prize. We're not going to see uh, in a couple months here, people standing on that podium with a gold medal around their neck, watching their flag get flown and listening to their country's national anthem. They're not getting there without some sacrifices. The top, top athletes, they don't get to do what everybody else gets to do. Because they're making sacrifices to be the best. And Paul's kind of saying, hey, I don't get to do all the things that everybody else gets to do. And I'm not doing this to win a gold medal. I'm not doing this to win a, a wreath. That's kind of the prize they would give at the, the games there in Corinth, right? I'm doing it for something that is imperishable. I'm doing this for something that is eternal, Right. And I think that's, we have to all realize. And again, there's different parts of the body of Christ. All of us are going to serve Christ in different ways from the mission field to being just the dedicated person behind the scenes at your church that most people don't even know is, is doing what you're doing. Right. That whole spectrum, all of that. Um, we all need to think, hey, I, I'm not just going to do what everybody else does. I am going to have to make sacrifices to serve the Lord. And if athletes do that to win a gold medal, how much more should I do that for a reward that will be eternal? So again, let's even see that that's a responsibility. There's going to be sacrifices and maybe an athlete's another good picture, right? Those gold medalists are not like, oh man, uh, this is brutal, and I, I've, I've had to work so hard to get here. Man, they're they're smiling. There's tears of joy going down their face, and they're saying, hey, man, it's worth it, right? Another instance where, hey, it's a joyful responsibility to make those sacrifices to win, to win the prize. Uh, next, let's go to Mark 10, and just some clear words that we need to hear. We talked about just a very similar passage back in, in Matthew, where even just so much of the cultural confusion today and people wanting to say, well, God never talked about gender, God never, or Jesus never talked about same-sex marriage or any of these things. I think uh, he speaks pretty clearly in this passage. But also, I want us to See, though, those weren't the things that he was mainly focused on, largely because those weren't the hot button issues in his day. They come in the context, and I think they include things that address very clearly the, the cultural hot buttons of today. But I want you to notice the thrust of what he is saying uh, can really be summed up in verse 9, where he says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Right? And he, he's really cautioning them against divorce and saying that is not what God is intending. 
And I think that's just good for all of us to take stock of today. God takes marriage very seriously, and Jesus speaks very strongly against divorce. And I think a lot of people, again, take passages like this and they want to talk more about, okay, when people have been divorced, what about remarriage and what is allowed and what's not allowed? And I think that's another way to maybe miss the point of this passage where Jesus is saying, hey, don't get divorced, right? And that's where I think we want to take that seriously. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, man, I just don't know if it's God's will for me to stay in my marriage. Well, look at what Jesus just said. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. If you are married, God is calling you to stay married. And we do see a couple kind of small exceptions in scripture, right? When that marriage covenant has been broken through sexual immorality or when it's an unbeliever who wants to leave. We just saw in 1 Corinthians 7, hey, let them go and you're you're free in that situation. But I, as a pastor, I talk to people all the time that try to basically start saying, you know, I, I don't think I'm happy in this marriage. I, I think I should leave this marriage when none of those, uh, you know, biblical qualifications are met. And again, those biblical qualifications aren't, you know, even when there has been sexual immorality that the Bible never says, well, then you should get divorced that even then there's powerful stories of God working reconciliation in many situations like that. But so many people in our culture is just, Hey, this marriage isn't making me happy. Like I thought it would. I don't know if I want to be here anymore. And that's where I would say that just flies so directly in the face of what Jesus is saying. And so whether you're thinking through yourself or you're giving counsel to a friend, counsel them with the words of Jesus, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Finally, let's check in on David in 1 Samuel 26 through 28. And in chapter 26, we see, uh, we kind of experience deja vu all over again. uh, As there's another instance where he could have taken Saul's life, but he doesn't. And he shows that to Saul and Saul says, oh, I'm so, so sorry. Um, But Saul clearly has no plans to change. And he continues to It's interesting, chapter 27, again, is not one of the highlights, I think, of David's life. But look, this is right after kind of what is a strong moment in David's life, um, just where he does not kill Saul. He shows that trust in God, saying, hey, God is going to take care of him. And you even see how he explains that to the young man that's with him, saying, hey, God is going to take care of Saul. I don't need to. But then verse First verse of chapter 27, then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines, right? So there, it kind of seems that right after a victory, David feels really discouraged. And that's something you might experience sometimes where it feels like, man, I did something great. But then after that, you just feel down and you are in the dumps, right? Well, take an example and maybe encourage yourself. You're not the first person to experience that. We're going to see that with Elijah after, you know, the fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. He kind of runs away and says, God, I I want to die because I'm so discouraged, right? Discouragement is something common. Uh, And let's, let's find encouragement in seeing we're not the first person to deal with that. And let's be encouraged not to run to whatever our equivalent of the Philistines is, but that we would run to God and look to him for encouragement in that moment. And obviously we starting to get to the end of the story of Saul as he goes. And now he is so far from seeking the Lord that he is seeking counsel from a medium and trying to bring up the dead. It's becoming a sad end for King Saul here that we're seeing 
in 1 Samuel. But let's focus on our responsibility, our obligation to God to worship Him, our responsibility to serve others and to minister to them. And let's remember what joyful responsibilities those are this weekend. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.